2020 has been a momentous year for many reasons. One huge reason being, of course, COVID-19. More deaths, more cases as thousands of Americans begin to self-quarantine. We're living through history, and if we want to avoid the mistakes of the past, we have to look back to other notable epidemics that humanity has experienced. Right. This isn't our first one. There was also the 1918 influenza pandemic or Spanish flu. The SARS outbreak. There was 2009's swine flu. Where were you in 2005 for the corrupted blood incident? Excuse me? One of these things is not like the other. Corrupted blood is an epidemic that I want to talk to you about today because it took place in a video game. Mm. So so I can't catch it right now. No, not right now. But there were millions of potential victims. And when Corrupted Blood took over the immensely popular game that it spread through, World of Warcraft, epidemiologists decided to study player responses to see what they might learn about human behavior during a real-world pandemic. I was actually playing World of Warcraft at the time, so I emailed a, a collaborator of mine who I worked with and was like, we have to write a paper on this. Fast forward 15 years, now that we're in the middle of COVID-19, it turns out their research is incredibly relevant. Scarily relevant. So here's what I'm wondering. What can a video game pandemic teach us about our real-world pandemic? And more importantly, what can it teach us about ourselves? There's contagion in your world now. What do you do? Coming up next, we're going to Azeroth. Welcome to Wild Wild Tech, a new podcast bringing you the wildest, most fun, most bizarre stories where pop culture and tech collide. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. I am a presenter for television, radio and podcasts and a prolific baker. And I'm Joshua Rivera, a pop culture critic and entertainment journalist and not a very prolific baker. More of a cook, really. So World of Warcraft from Blizzard Entertainment is an MMORPG, which is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Yeah, that just means you're a player controlling a character among a lot of other people who are also controlling characters. You go on quests together, which are like errands, but more fun. (laughs) And you choose your character and get to specialize what they're good at. And what's particularly special about World of Warcraft when it comes to MMORPGs? Because I do not play them. Well, World of Warcraft, or WoW, is kind of like the mother of all MMORPGs. It didn't come first, but it is like the biggest and most popular. So do you play WoW? Not like as, as a fan, not terribly religiously. I've played as a reporter because it's just so popular and it's been around for so long. Yeah, so it came out in 2004 in the US, where you are and 2005 in the UK, where I am. And by September that year, it had about 4 million subscribers. And that is when it got an epidemic. So I first heard about Corrupted Blood from Alex Krotowski on the BBC's The Digital Human. But I wanted to talk to someone who was there on the ground, so to speak. So we called up a friend of producer Janielle called Matt. I'm Matt. At the time of the Corrupted Blood incident, I played a human priest named Mara Jade. For those of you who don't know, Mara Jade 
is a character in the Star Wars expanded universe of novels. Wow, the novels, that's deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's great. Matt was playing in 2005 and experienced the Corrupted Blood incident firsthand. It all started on September 13th, when the developers of World of Warcraft released an update, or a patch, which introduced a whole new area to the game world. And, as I've admitted, I have never played World of Warcraft, so I had to ask Matt how to pronounce the name of this new place. Zulgarub. 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 And uh, Zulgarub was special because it was kind of separate from the rest of the game world. It was what is called an instance, which is a place that you go with a group of other players in order to kind of go on like a mini adventure called a raid. So I think of it as like a group package holiday. Yeah, exactly. You sort of like have to like talk in advance and pre-plan in advance and make sure you have all the right stuff, sort of get packed Matt was in a group of players called a guild, so kind of like a club, a collection of players who've been playing together for a really long time. This particular guild might have been made up of maybe 20, maybe even 50 higher level players. And Matt's guild is all about these raids. So naturally, as soon as they can, they make a plan, pack up their gear and set off for Zulgarub, completely unaware that they were about to become early victims of a digital disease. Zulgarub is an ancient troll city, and trolls in this game belong to the Horde, who, and there is debate about this, but they are generally considered to be the baddies of the game. And like many of the races, they seem to be inspired by various real-world cultures. The troll race in World of Warcraft has sort of like a, a Central American, Mayan or Aztec kind of vibe with like some voodoo and Caribbean stuff thrown in. Oh, yeah, because so, of course you can throw all those things together. They're totally the same. 2005, real good at, at race. <laughs> you know, World of Warcraft, it's a, it's a melting pot of cultures, Joshua is what it is. <laughs> Nevertheless, Matt remembers Zulgarub vividly in his excited teenage mind. So it's like a, a really dense jungle environment with these ruins that sort of pop out of the imaginary mist. Now that you sort of go back and see what the game actually looks like, it's not really this vibrant, but um, I guess thinking back on it in, in my head, it, it seems almost like a real place. So Matt and his group, they travel through the jungle and they're fighting all of these different enemies along the way, but they've got their eyes on one guy, the big boss. Hakar the Soul Flayer. You toy with powers that are beyond you. Okay, that's kind of cool. There's all the racist stuff there, sure, yes, that's upsetting. But you know, I can sort of like flip this around and be like, Hakar is going to get the colonizers. <laughs> okay, well, uh, let me show you a clip of your new hero and god, Hakar. <laughs> um, and you can see what he looks like. Okay, so he he looks kind of like a a like a hydra sort of deal. Like he's just this giant snake. He's got big old feathered wings and like claw hands. And I think he's wearing is that a collar or a cape? <laughs> you got to keep warm when you're cold blooded, you know. <laughs> so back to Matt. He and his twenty or so guild members finally destroy everyone they've got to destroy to get face-to-face -face with Hakar, which in itself is pretty hard. And so it's like, it's a big deal just to be able to clear and get to him. And not many groups had done it at the time. So now these elite players have to figure out how to defeat the Soul Flayer. 
And how do you defeat a soul flare? Teamwork, Joshua. Teamwork. In World of Warcraft, players choose roles that tend to fit into what people call the Holy Trinity, which is tanks, damage dealers, and healers. Tanks take damage, damage dealers deal damage, and healers restore the health of their fellow players. Matt was a healer. And so the entire time that I'm in the instance, my job is to make sure everybody else stays alive. Turns out that Matt's role in this instance was crucial, because Hakar the Soul Flayer had a special ability called corrupted blood and so during the fight in my memory it's sort of like this like pretty gross sort of like bloody explosion sound like a yeah every few seconds it would sort of like make that splat sound and then you'd have like a little effect on your character that looks sort of like blood squirting out that's pretty gross yeah that's what i said uh but that is not even the worst thing about it because corrupted blood is contagious deadly contagious Pretty quickly, you learn that, like, okay, you sort of need to put people in piles, and then as soon as you see that that bolt go out, as soon as the person gets diseased, they have to run away from the group really fast and wait for it to go to, like, turn off, and then they can sort of run back into the party again. Isolate themselves. Exactly. So if they just ran away and waited for a bit, the corrupted blood went away? Well, this is where Matt's priestess healer came in. And as soon as you hear that, you're like, okay, you have to run out. And so you have to look around, try and figure out who has it on them, yell out their name. And then they immediately have to run out of the group. And then I have to make sure to heal them to keep them alive because it'll kill them. And then as soon as they're safe again, then they can run back into the group again. But almost as soon as they run back into the group again, you hear that sound again and you have to call out another name and they have to run out. Okay. So how does this manage to cause an epidemic? Well, this is the key, right? So the developers who introduced Hakar, the Soul Flayer, they hadn't accounted for one thing that some players might bring with them to Zul'Garub. Pets. And so we pretty quickly figured out that if you had a hunter pet or a warlock pet and you fought Hakar, and while you were fighting the boss, your pet got diseased and then you dismissed it, it would save that disease, that debuff on your pet. It would just sort of stick on it. We figured out that if you had teleported at the end of the raid, when you're done, yay, we've beaten the boss. Very exciting. Everyone gets their loot, and Hakar had some really cool stuff. Then we would go back to town and, like, celebrate. That's the end. We go back to Ironforge or Stormwind. If a hunter then re-brought their pet out and they were sort of in the middle of a bunch of people, then all of a sudden that corrupted blood would still be on their hunter pet and it would start to spread to random people just in the quote-unquote real world. Because now we're out of that instance. We're in the main game now. There's a lot more people. There's always people sort of logging in and logging out. So there's always sort of new people coming into the system that it can spread to. And so it just sort of spreads out of control and just stays. It just sticks in a city because there's so many people that it can spread to that it never really runs out of victims. It just keeps going around. Oh, no. Yeah, I asked a friend of mine, actually, called Tom, who's been playing World of Warcraft since it came out, if he remembered anything about this. And he was like, all I remember is bodies everywhere. Bodies everywhere? (laughs) Just you you walk in and it's, wow, that's that's heavy, man. Yeah, I think you can see screenshots from the time and it's just like skeletons littering the streets of the cities. 
So yeah, pretty intense. And the thing is, players like Matt were fine. For higher level characters, it didn't really affect us that much. Like we could heal through it and or just leave town. They were the ones strong enough to make it all the way to Zulgarub to begin with. They had high enough health levels to survive. But when they brought Corrupted Blood back to the wider game world, lower level players with less health were much more vulnerable. In fact, Joshua, listen to Matt's account. What does this remind you of? Once you're sort of like a higher level character, there's other places where we can hang out. Uh, we're not sort of reliant on hanging out just in one city. And we had other things to do. You know, we can go raid. We're not just, we don't have to just hang out in town. But it, it did make it really inconvenient. <laughs> um, you couldn't go to town anymore. And if you wanted to play on one of your lower level characters, it kind of just broke the game for you for a while. That sounds like right now. The game is broken. So what do you do? Do you, do you keep going places? Do you sell your magic pants in town or, or what? Right, exactly. It was completely organic, this kind of accidental virtual pandemic, in fact, unfolded so organically that infectious disease researchers studied it back then to examine how humans might behave when they're in a real pandemic. And now they are revisiting that research in light of COVID-19. I actually called up one of those researchers to ask him what they learned. Did they accidentally predict all of the different ways that we're responding to this pandemic now in 2020? And is there anything that we can learn from World of Warcraft that can help us now? We'll hear from him when we come back. World of Warcraft isn't the only video game to feature an epidemic or a plague or even a virus. So there's, you know, Vampire with the 1918 influenza. There's A Plague Tale Innocence, which has a bubonic plague. Uh, there's even this game called Astrologaster, which takes place in 16th century London and has a plague there as well. But there's a specific reason why we can learn from this Corrupted Blood instance in World of Warcraft. The reason Corrupted Blood is different is because it was a mistake. So this is Dr. Eric Lofgren, and he was uniquely positioned to research the Corrupted Blood incident in World of Warcraft. So I'm Eric Lofgren. I'm an assistant professor of infectious disease epidemiology at Washington State University, and I co-authored a paper studying the Corrupted Blood outbreak in the World of Warcraft. But most importantly... I also play Havishay, a level 60 night elf druid, and I'm also a pretty huge nerd. So I was, I was actually playing... World of Warcraft at the time um, while this was happening. And so I emailed a, a collaborator of mine who I worked with and was like, we have to write a paper on this. And did your collaborator immediately agree? Did they laugh at you? Nina Pfefferman, my collaborator, is also a pretty huge nerd. So uh, she was on board. She was on board pretty quick. Do epidemiologists tend to be pretty huge nerds? I'm sure that there are people in the field who would resist that characterization, but in my experience, there's there's a degree of nerdery in, in epidemiology. A correlation, but not causation. <laughs> exactly. So these two huge nerds were able to study the corrupted blood incident in World of Warcraft because, as Dr. Lofgren said, it was an accident. The disease was spreading organically the way a real virus might, and people were responding to it organically. And so I think that's sort of what makes it most interesting is that the the gameplay behaviors that come from that were emergent. They, they were things that came out of people's decisions. There was no quest to go heal 10 people or, you know, you need to go from town X to town Y to get a, a vaccine. It was just I don't know. There's there's contagion in your world now. What do you do? 
what players decided to do turned out to be the most fascinating part of their research and has a lot to teach us about our responses to COVID-19 today. One of the first responses they noticed were people they called the healers. What are essentially first responders, characters who could heal other characters in the game and so would go into these cities that were essentially overrun by the corrupted blood outbreak and try to help especially sort of lower level players stay alive long enough to escape the city and and get out. Which goes to show, right, like even when there is no reason to do so, people will still run towards danger so that they can help others, which is kind of great, actually. But unfortunately, the process of healing a character with corrupted blood gives you corrupted blood. So you see a phenomenon very similar to the sort of essential workers who right now are putting their lives at risk to help people who do have coronavirus. Which is an incredibly crucial realization that we are all having right now, isn't it? Like our healers and first responders in the real world just want to do their jobs and run towards the vulnerable to help them. But without proper protective equipment or even a vaccine, they're putting themselves at risk. But even if you aren't running toward the front lines, like let's say you're just trying to live your life in one of Azeroth's crowded cities. Both Matt and Dr. Lofgren described how the cities were overrun because people congregated there to do things like shop. And this turned out to be even more of a problem because all of the shopkeepers and such are non-player characters or NPCs. Like merchants or blacksmiths or armorers. Exactly. And there are no players controlling these NPCs. They're just a fixture of the game, basically bots wandering around the city. And the designers, they program these NPCs to be really difficult to kill so that, you know, particularly aggressive players wouldn't just run around murdering them. And that means that they could catch the disease, but it wouldn't do much to harm them. Sort of acted as the sort of super spreaders that we we see in a lot of emerging infectious diseases. And presumably if they weren't suffering from the disease, then they were kind of asymptomatic as well. They they were effectively asymptomatic because they have programmed behavior. So so they didn't know they were getting anybody infected while they wandered around the capital trying to sell weapons. They just were. To try and keep people away from these dense urban areas, the game's developers actually attempted a kind of quarantine. So, like, they they shut everything down? Yeah, not quite. (laughs) Blizzard did try to essentially get people who were infected to do what's called flagging themselves, which is essentially you, you put up a a little status that normally means you're you're willing to fight other players, but in this case was, I'm infected, and tried to get them all to go to sort of the same space and sort of organize them and stop this from happening. But invariably, as happens with quarantine, people didn't come or then wandered off and did their own thing. And this is just so frustratingly true of human nature, right? Like, maybe at first we think, oh, okay, that's easy enough. I'll go and isolate and, you know, help out. But then maybe like time passes and especially if nothing seems to change, nothing seems to get better. And, you know, we get a bit bored. You see people start breaking the rules and and leaving their homes. And I mean, I'm definitely seeing that here. I don't know if you're seeing it, too. That's definitely a thing that's here also. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, basically, it just seems like we're really bad at following the rules when it's not a quick fix, like when things don't seem to get better straight away. And even in a video game. It should be easy to just stay still in a game, but that's not what you're there for. You know, you're there to have fun. Then there are those players who had more sinister motives than just boredom. Dr. Lofgren noticed another surprising role that players assumed mid-pandemic, which takes us back to Matt. 
It turns out our vigilant healer priestess has a bit of a dark side. At first, it was kind of an annoyance. But then my teenage self and the teenage self of our group pretty quickly figured out that this could be a fun mistake that the game designers left in the game. And so that sort of became a fun side thing that we would do whenever we would go fight Hakar. We would uh, intentionally make sure that we had a hunter pet and we would save it in order to sort of intentionally spread the disease into town as a funny thing to do. Just as a side, not even your primary objective, just as a fun thing to do along the along the way. It was like a bonus. Um, <laughs> which, you know, looking back on it now in the context of the real world um, sounds pretty horrible. Um, but back then, for us, it didn't have a huge impact on our lives and it was kind of funny. There is a word for players like Matt. Jerks. <laughs> Yeah, or uh, or griefers, right? Or, or trolls. And obviously the parallels are less obvious here with, with COVID-19. I mean, who are the griefers of COVID-19? Charges are pending against a Warren County man who took video of himself licking a row of deodorant sticks at an area Walmart. Shockingly, there are some one-off extreme examples of COVID-19 griefing behavior. Although there is also a case to be made that we're seeing some less extreme griefing behavior from people who wouldn't necessarily see themselves that way. Yeah, it's less people who are like licking things and more people who want to just stick to their routines that people just got to get to the beach despite everything that's going on. It's really messing up with my spring break. What is there to do here other than go to the bars or the beach? One thing that the griefing angle highlights is that there are obviously huge differences between corrupted blood and COVID-19, uh, the biggest of which is the consequences. Right. Corrupted blood can't actually kill you. Yeah. Like, even when the characters die, they come back to life, right? And that's actually one of the reasons that corrupted blood kept spreading, because there were always more hosts to infect. And while we are still struggling to understand where coronavirus came from, what it's doing, and how to deal with it. Corrupted Blood was written in code, so that wasn't a problem for the developers. The developers were able to fix it. Yeah, and that's another huge difference. So Corrupted Blood was solved by resetting the servers. We obviously can't do that in real life as much as occasionally it would be nice to, you know, revert to what was going on two weeks ago and have, a, have another go at it. And with all those similarities and differences considered, Dr. Lofgren actually has a couple of lessons that he thinks that we can learn from the Corrupted Blood incident and apply to the situation that we're in today. So I think there's two. One is scientific and one is social. I think the scientific one is that importance of human behavior and understanding that there will be lots of different sort of responses that are both good and bad, and that when we study pandemics and plan for pandemics, that we need to take those behaviors into account and, and think about them um, really deeply. This can be hard to accept, right? But it's just a fact of the world. People are unpredictable. But Dr. Lofgren's second lesson is surprisingly hopeful. I think on sort of a, a societal and social level, one of the things is I think people do genuinely care and people do genuinely want to help. There is a lot of examples in Corrupted Blood of people, you know, taking time out of their own fun and entertaining time to get people to safety. And Matt has a lesson for himself too. Oh yeah, now now that I've been thinking about this over the past week, this has been, uh, it's been sort of a revelation, not only just of like, okay, I'm a person of privilege. I could just, I bought a mask, I can buy gloves, I can order favor from my house. 
not everyone has that opportunity and sort of the same way in world of warcraft for us it was just a funny joke for other people who are lower level characters it's probably destroyed the game for them for a couple days if not weeks on end until they finally fixed the glitch so a strangely timely coincidence is that matt could go revisit the scene of his crimes in August last year, Blizzard released World of Warcraft Classic, which basically recreates that original game as it was when it first came out. And in this past April, they added Zulgarub, this time with the virus contained. So I was curious if Dr. Lofgrim is planning on revisiting the game. I have actually played WoW Classic a little bit. I have come to the realization that I am at the point in my life where I don't think I have the time to play WoW the way it was meant to be played at that time. I may visit for a couple days for a, a little nostalgic feel of, you know, disease spreading trolls deep in a jungle somewhere. I guess a lot of us, a lot of people have more time to play video games right now, but it, the opposite is true for you, it sounds like. Yes. Um, so most people talk a lot about what they're doing during furlough and, you know, their, their new recipes for sourdough and how many video games they've played. Most of the infectious disease epidemiologists I know are, are pretty stressed out and could probably use a month when all this is over to rest, recuperate, and, and maybe revisit some video games that we have, we have not been playing over the past few weeks. I don't know about you, Joshua, but as someone who covers video games, I keep hearing that more and more people are turning to games to fill their time in isolation. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, especially with Animal Crossing. Oh, seems. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm one of those people who's playing a lot of video games right now. And every now and then I get this tiny voice in the back of my head that's like, why are you playing video games? There's a global crisis going on. That's such a waste of time. But Dr. Lofgren's research, you know, kind of suggests that we might actually be able to learn some really useful lessons from playing them. I've actually written a whole book about this called 10 Things Video Games Can Teach Us. So Joshua, what have you learned from this particular game? Don't be a griefer or a jerk. A lesson for every episode, I think. <laughs> well, listeners, we want to know what you have learned from video games about how to survive this pandemic. You can let us know by heading to Apple Podcasts and leaving us five stars and letting us know in the little comment that you write alongside your review, what video games are you playing right now and what are they teaching you about how to survive? Like, have you been playing a lot of post-apocalyptic zombie games and you're preparing for the zombie apocalypse? Or maybe you've been playing Tetris and that has helped you with how to jam things into your store cupboards, you know, all of the things that you've been bulk buying. Uh, Pac-Man is very good for avoiding people. It's great. It's a great social distancing video game. <laughs> That's true with the ghosts. Well, Joshua, this has been a wonderful first episode. Thank you for the great story. Thank you for listening. Next week on Wild Wild Tech, we'll be diving into CGI and the butt that broke Disney+. Plus. Subscribe to us on your podcast app so that you don't miss it. And don't forget to rate and review and tell us your pandemic video game thoughts. Wild Wild Tech is a spoke media production brought to you in partnership with Studio 71. It's hosted by myself, Jordan Eric Weber, and Joshua Rivera. You can find us at jordanweber.com and at jmrivera02. Our producers are Cody Hoffmockel and Janielle Kastner, with help from Reyes Mendoza and Caroline Hamilton. This episode was mixed by Evan Arnett and Will Shaw. Our executive producers are Stephen Pelstein and Andrew Seeley for Studio 71, and Aaliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds for Spoke Media. Special thanks to Matt, our wonderful World of Warcraft guide, who has grown so much since high school, and to Dr. Lofgren for doing this research and talking to us about it. 
If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Wild Wild Tech Pod. 